Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well, as it is so good to see all of you here in person this week, as it is not fun preaching to an empty sanctuary nor to a camera. So welcome back, church, as we will continue today in our study of the Gospel of Mark, as this morning we will be looking at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 21, or where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ calls his 12 apostles. And he does so, church, as we saw last week after a pretty difficult day of ministry. And I say that because if you can remember back to our text from last week, Jesus Christ, after healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, he then decided, as we saw in Mark chapter 3, verse 7, to withdraw with his disciples to the sea or to go out to the Sea of Galilee, since, as Matthew chapter 12 puts it, Jesus Christ was aware at this time that the Pharisees, or that the religious leaders of the day, wanted to destroy him, or ultimately now wanted to kill him. Therefore, Jesus Christ, then he goes out to the sea, However, in doing so, a large crowd follows Jesus Christ, large as in thousands upon thousands of people, church, follow Jesus Christ because, verse 8, they had heard all that he was doing and thus wanted to see and to experience for themselves all the healing and the restoring, the cleansing and the curing of the miracle man himself, Jesus Christ. However, while Jesus Christ was out by the sea, he tells his disciples, as we see in verse 9, to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. And he says that to his disciples because the crowd on that day, church, was made up of many people who were ill and unwell and sick and diseased, and who unapologetically then pressed in on Jesus Christ and began pushing and shoving as a way to get to Jesus Christ in order, verse 10, to be able to touch Jesus Christ. Since many of them likely believe that if they could just touch Jesus Christ, that they then would ultimately be healed. Additionally, also amidst The crowd on this day were individuals with unclean spirits or individuals who were demon-possessed, who were quite frankly, church, verse 11, just falling down before Jesus Christ as a form of submission to his authority and who were also then making it known to Jesus Christ that that they knew who he was, that being the Son of God likely in opposition of Jesus Christ, and likely as a way to try to control or manipulate Jesus Christ. And thus Jesus Christ here, who most certainly had the authority over all these unclean and wicked and demonic spirits, he quickly then put an end to their shenanigans by saying to them in verse 12, to not make him known, since these evil and wicked and demonic spirits were most certainly not the source that Jesus Christ wanted, revealing his true identity to the world. And thus, overall, church, a pretty arduous and demanding and strenuous day of ministry for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, as we see in our text today, it is a ministry 
that Jesus Christ now will no longer have to do completely alone. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Those who zealously seek to follow the will of God can expect to be seen by the world as crazy, even by those who are closest to them. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church. Those who zealously seek to follow the will of God can expect to be seen by the world as crazy, even by those who are closest to them. So at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to the Gospel of Mark, as this morning we will be looking at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 21. And if you are joining us today and do not have a Bible with you or do not own a Bible, then please know that there are Bibles located in each and every chair in front of you this morning. Therefore, please feel free to grab one of our church Bibles at this time and to open it up to page 838 and join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in the Gospel of Mark this morning, looking specifically at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 21, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning that we be quite comfortable as your children in our weakness. Father, we know that your grace is sufficient for us even in our weakness and that we can boast in our weakness because in and through our weakness we know that the power of Jesus Christ will rest upon us, enabling us, preparing us, and equipping us to carry out whatever calling you have called us to for the good of your people and for your glory. I pray that this truth sinks deep into the hearts and the minds of these dear ones, that we do not need to be boastful, that we do not need to lean into our strengths and our giftings all while we neglect the power of Christ, but in essence, we can be completely content to rely solely 
on the power of Christ to do any work he wants to accomplish in and through us. And thus I would be a fool to stand up here this morning, Father, and to lean on my own understanding and in the strength of my own might as I try to share with these dear ones your perfect and infallible and inspired word. Father, let me rely on you, knowing that I am weak but that I have a strong God. Send your spirit this morning, Father. Give me the words to speak so that they are understandable, that they are clear, and they build this flock of yours up. I pray, convict this dear congregation that your power is made perfect in weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, rely on the Lord's might and not that of your own. As you faithfully seek, into the, faithfully seek to walk in the calling, to which you have been called. Christian, rely on the Lord's might and not that of your own as you faithfully seek to walk in the calling to which you have been called. Verses 13 through 19, which read, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus Christ, who was just at the Sea of Galilee with a group of his disciples, he decides here, as we see in verse 13, to go up on the mountain. And although the text does not tell us, church, specifically what mountain Jesus Christ decided to go up on, what we do know from the text is that Jesus Christ, verse 13, called to himself those whom he desired and that they came to him. To which he then, as we see in verse 14, appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Now, what exactly does that mean, church, that these 12 men are now going to be Jesus' apostles? Well, as we see described in verse 14, church, it means that these 12 men now would be with Jesus Christ so that he could eventually then send them out to preach and verse 15, to cast out demons. In essence, it means, church, that these 12 men are now going to get the opportunity to intimately follow Jesus Christ and to be trained by Jesus Christ and refined by Jesus Christ, taught by Jesus Christ, and ultimately be discipled by Jesus Christ so that they could eventually then go out on their own and preach the message of Jesus Christ and cast out demons just like Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is literally here, church, calling to himself a group of men whom he desires to invest in, to disciple, and to prepare in order to be able, as Mark Strauss puts it, to expand the scope 
of his ministry, by having these men actually partake in the same ministry that he, Jesus Christ, was already doing, that ministry being to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to drive out evil. Hence, what's an honor here, church? I mean, what's a call? What a privilege, what an absolute responsibility for the Son of Man, the Son of God, the God-man Jesus Christ to give to mere mortal men here. And thus, you have to think, church, that in order to receive this call and to be appointed to the position of one of the apostles of Jesus Christ, that you've got to be, like, pretty special and, like, really smart and really gifted and really successful and like someone who just really has it going on, like a wise old professor, or maybe even some meticulous and thoughtful lawyer, or like some genius doctor, or charismatic leader, or wealthy businessman who possesses will and purpose and power and the ability to communicate with clever and enticing and persuasive words, for that has got to be the kind of people who Jesus Christ appointed here to be his apostles, right? And the answer to that question, church, is most definitely not. And I say that because, as we see in verses 16 through 19, Jesus Christ, he appointed Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, who were those two fishermen we met back in Mark chapter 1. James and John, another pair of brothers who were also both fishermen, Philip, and a, name by the, a man by the name of Bartholomew, who was referred to as Nathaniel in the Gospel of John, Matthew or Levi, who we all know, church, from Mark chapter 2 is that hated tax collector, Thomas, who would eventually doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ, James the son of Alphaeus, who's also known as James the Less, And then you have Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and the man who would eventually betray Jesus Christ, that being Judas Iscariot. So yeah, not exactly the most impressive list of men, church, for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, to call. And yet, none of these 12 men, church, who received this call said... Well, you know, Jesus, this is truly an honor, but I just don't feel qualified for this position at this time because in all honesty, I am not the smartest guy out there, nor am I the most successful guy out there, nor is my background, Jesus, the most impressive there is out there. Therefore, thank you, Jesus, for the offer, but I just don't feel like I have the qualifications or the skill set needed for the job at this time. For that is most definitely, church, not how any of these men responded, but instead, as R.C. Sproul writes, Jesus Christ called the ones he wanted, and his call was a sovereign one, because everyone he called to that office came to that office, and they came willingly. And yet, how common is it, church, to hear Christians today say things like, well, I feel 
called to serve in youth ministry or to start a small group or to hold a weekly prayer meeting, but I don't because I just don't feel completely qualified or prepared or equipped to be able to do that at this time. Now, don't get me wrong, church, for I am all for Christians educating themselves and developing their gifts and growing and maturing and increasing in their knowledge of the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. However, brother Christian, sister Christian, if God truly is calling you to a certain ministry that he wants you to partake in, then do not reject that calling simply because you don't feel like you have all the qualifications that the world has convinced you that you need. Author Tim Hansel, he wrote this funny and yet very profound little narrative about the kind of feedback Jesus Christ would have received if indeed he hired a consulting firm to evaluate the list of men that he called his apostles. For the imaginary consulting firm writes, Dear Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computers, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all the tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully, However, as part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. Therefore, it is the opinion of our staff that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. And thus, we would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable, and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place their personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings and both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, though, did show great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Church, let us never forget, God, he willingly chooses what is foolish in this world to shame the wise, and he willingly chooses what is weak in this world to shame the strong. 
Therefore, if you are feeling called to serve Brother Christian, Sister Christian in the youth ministry here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church or in the nursery here or to begin some type of mercy ministry here or some homeschool ministry here or to be part of a future church plant here, but you are wrestling with this idea that because you never went to Bible college or seminary, never wrote a book or taught a class or don't have this degree or that certification hanging on your wall that God somehow cannot use you. Then lovingly, brother Christian, sister Christian, let me share with you that it is not our job to determine if you are qualified enough for God to use, but instead you have been called Christian to look to Jesus Christ, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, and to rely on the strength of his might and not that of your own. Because here is the thing, Although you may be weak, Christian, your God, he is strong. And thus, if this strong and perfect and sovereign and omnipotent God can take these ordinary apostles and make them, Ephesians 2.20, the foundation of the church, then when God does call you, Christian, to serve in a particular capacity as part of the body of Jesus Christ, you just take him at his word and let him go you and strengthen you and equip you and use you and he will indeed accomplish Christian whatever work he desires in and through you for the good of his people and for his glory and thus trust and rely on that power church when you are called by God and not that of your own qualifications or might which brings us to point number two Do not be surprised, Christian, when you faithfully seek to live out the will of God for your life and the world thinks that you are crazy for doing so. Do not be surprised, Christian, when you faithfully seek to live out the will of God for your life and the world thinks that you are crazy for doing so. Verses 20 and 21, which reads, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So after withdrawing to the Sea of Galilee, and after going up to the mountain in order to call these aforementioned apostles, Jesus Christ then, he finally, as we see in verse 20, returns home. Likely meaning he goes back to the house of Simon and Andrew in Capernaum. However, as soon as Jesus arrives, as we also see in verse 20, a crowd once again gathers. A crowd church that again seems to be quite sizable and quite demanding of Jesus Christ as well. So much so, church, that Jesus Christ here, verse 20, could not even eat due to the crowd at this time. And thus, as we see in verse 21, Jesus' family then, when they hear about this, they go out, church, in order to seize him, meaning to take charge of him, as the NIV puts it, or to take custody of him, as the NASB puts it, or to restrain him, as the CSB puts it, and to bring him back to Nazareth with them. 
to which you might be sitting there this morning, church, thinking, well, good on Jesus's family here for wanting to take care of Jesus Christ and to help Jesus Christ and to tend to the physical well-being of Jesus Christ. However, unfortunately, church, that does not seem to be the only motivating factor here as to why Jesus's family goes out to seize him. And I say that because, as we also see in the text, his family here, they went out to seize him because, verse 21, they were saying he is out of his mind, as in they were saying he's gone mad. And thus, as James Brooks explains, the family's concern likely isn't just limited to his physical needs, but also they were probably even more concerned about the family's reputation here, because in their, in their estimation, Jesus was acting in a fanatical and even in that of an insane way. In essence, church, they were likely worried that if Jesus here keeps doing what he's doing, that he could ultimately then bring some kind of significant shame onto the family and maybe even that of significant pain onto the family. And thus, it seems to come down to this, church, that Jesus is family now, for they want to seize him and to bring him back to Nazareth with them because likely they now viewed him as something some kind of radical and fanatical and misinformed religious nut. And thus, let's let this text serve as a caution to us as well this morning, church. Because even though we are currently living in a world where someone can literally attend every rally of their favorite politician and still only be known as committed, or paint their face and scream like a crazy person for four hours at a sporting event and still only be known as passionate or invest all their time and their resources and money into a certain hobby and still only be known as dedicated. If you, brother Christian, sister Christian, openly affirm what the Bible says and then publicly try to live it out, the world as we have seen time and time again, they are not going to call you Christian, committed, or passionate, or dedicated, but instead they too are going to call you fanatical, and irrational, and radical, and uneducated, and narrow-minded, and intolerant, and bigoted, and crazy, and out of your mind as well. And I say that because if members of Jesus's own family here thought that he was out of his mind and tried to seize him and oppose him because of his devotion to the will of God, then of of course, the unsaved, the depraved, and the unredeemed world is going to think you are crazy as well, church, for your devotion to the will of God. Nevertheless, in those moments, church, when you are indeed perceived by the world as fanatical and radical and crazy and insane for unapologetically believing that the Bible is still true— 
that God is still sovereign, that the wage of sin is still death, and that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, so that through him and through him alone, church, we could have life in his name. You cling, church, to this, that the reason why this world thinks that you are absolutely mad and crazy and insane is because... You are no longer of this world, church. And thus, do not get bogged down when you hear the TV or the media or your co-workers or even those closest to you say that you've gone mad because you believe that the Bible is still true or because you zealously seek to live it out. But instead, let it be a wonderful reminder to you, Christian, that you are no longer of this world, but that you instead now and forevermore are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, provided you suffer with him in order that you may also be glorified with him. Which means then, Christian, that in the grand scheme of things, you have indeed placed your faith in the most logical and glorious position of them all. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, I want to start by addressing the non-Christian who was here first. And non-Christian, I realize that you might be sitting there this morning thinking, for why on earth, in this age of hostility and fighting and conflict and strife, would anyone in their right mind align themselves with this Jesus Christ and in essence sign up to be singled out by the world as someone who is crazy and irrational and fanatical and mad? And the answer to that question is because above and beyond all the opposition and pushback and name-calling that we may face in the here and now, in eternity, non-Christian, the gift of eternal and abundant life is waiting for us. And that eternal and abundant life is only available to us, non-Christian, through Jesus Christ, who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man in order to initially live for us the life that we could never live. Meaning that Jesus Christ really did, non-Christian, live a perfect and sinless and righteous life here on earth, a life that was completely free of sin, and thus kept the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely for the children of God. However, that is not all that Jesus Christ accomplished here on earth, non-Christian, because not only did Jesus Christ live the life for us that we could not live, he also then paid the price for our sins that we could never pay. And he did that, non-Christian, by willingly being crucified and crushed and killed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, although he himself, non-Christian, never, ever, Sinned. And you know what, non Christian? This 
perfect and righteous and atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary, it appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. Therefore, three days later, non-Christian Jesus Christ, then he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and crushed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life, non-Christian, to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin and died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. And thus the sufferings of this present time non-Christian, whether they be mocking or opposition or ridicule or strife, I am telling you that they are not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you are forgiven of your sins and given the gift of eternal and abundant life. And to the Christian who is here today, if anything, brother Christian, sister Christian, You've noticed over the past two weeks that Christian ministry can be hard and that those who are committed to doing the will of God in their lives will face opposition, which naturally leads to the question then, well, what exactly should we as Christians be doing then to prepare ourselves for the ministry that God has called us to and or for the opposition that we might face as we try to live out the will of God for our lives, especially when we feel unqualified. And I think we can glean a pretty good answer to those questions or a pretty good point of application here simply by considering verse 14 in our text this morning. And that before Jesus Christ would send out his apostles to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and to cast out demons and to ultimately fulfill their ministry, they were to first, verse 14, be with Jesus. And that they were to spend time with Jesus and commune with Jesus and observe the life of Jesus and receive the words of Jesus and more intimately get to know Jesus, also that their ministry church, as Lamar Williamson put it, would be empowered by Jesus. Therefore, if you are trying to figure out what exactly you could be doing, church, in the here and now to pre prepare yourself for the ministries that God has called you to, or to endure more faithfully when the world throws names at you, or to increase your trust in God so that you can just walk in the ways that he wants you to, the advice that I have to give you, although it is rather simple, church, make no mistake about it, for it is absolutely critical to the Christian life. 
for it is, quite simply, church, to make it a priority each and every day to spend bountiful amounts of time with God. Meaning each and every day, Christian, dive into the infallible Word of God in order to see the power of God displayed, the faithfulness of God revealed, the commandments of God declared, the authority of God acknowledged, and the grace, mercy, and peace of God proclaimed abundantly to you. And not only that, church, but also be sure to pray without ceasing to your Father God through the Son of God and in the Spirit. Spirit of God, which I can promise you will equip you and prepare you for any ministry that you have been called to, far more than any pop psychology book you can read, any business seminar you can attend, any communication class you can take, or any pragmatic church growth strategy that you could learn. And thus, let me lovingly encourage you, Christian, to set time aside regularly and routinely and frequently to feast on the infallible word of God and to pray fervently in the spirit of God and just watch and see, Christian, how profoundly your all-powerful and omnipotent God can use the weak to shame the strong, can use the foolish to shame the wise, and can use you, Christian, to carry out every good work he has called you to since our God's power church is made perfect in and through weakness. Therefore, it is my prayer that we as a church body continue to seek communion with our God. Thus, give us a zeal and a passion and a desire, Lord, to not run too quickly to Mr. Worldly Wise Man for his counsel and advice and theories and methods, but instead let us, as the body of Jesus Christ, be quick to run to you, God, and to spend time with you, to commune with you, and to seek your counsel above all else via your infallible and inspired word, so that even when we do feel unqualified and unworthy and unable and weak in and of ourselves to walk in the calling to which we have been called. Let your word remind us, God, that your power is made perfect in our weakness and that we can boast all the more gladly in our weakness, knowing that the power of Jesus Christ will rest upon us. Therefore, let us not be a church that relies solely on the strength of our own might, but instead let us be a church body that is powered by the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave so that we be equipped with everything we need in order to carry out your will, Father, for the good of your people and for your eternal glory. Let's pray. Father, in a world where we so quickly see the promotion of the self and strengths and giftings and relying on our own might, let us look vastly different. Let us be willing to walk in faith, not by our resumes, not by our qualifications, not how much we feel prepared for this task or the other, but to walk in faith knowing that you will equip us, Father, you will prepare us, and you will make us qualified to be able to do whatever you want us to do for the good of your people and for your glory.
And Father, if we feel that tugging on our heart this morning, a ministry that we want to serve in, Lord, I pray that each one of the individuals here take seriously the call to spend time with you, to dive into your word, to love your word, to read your word, to be changed by your word, and to go to you consistently, Father, in prayer. Father, you will use these tools to shape us, to mold us, to make us more into the image of your Son and to empower our ministry through your Spirit. Father, let us be quick to run to your Word and to you, to be faithful to walk in the calling to which we have been called and to rely not on our own might, but in the power of your might, God. For you use the weak to shame the strong. Amen.